Robert Adam. Some more exciting answers to the baffling and intriguing questions of science. Up and Adam. Science on FBI. Alice Williamson is back. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. You're all better? Yeah, I'm feeling better after watching some uh, some Winter Olympics and that might have, you know, influenced the, the stories that I've brought today. I didn't even get a chance to have a look at the Winter Olympics. My TV doesn't plug into normal television channels, so I just had to find out all the deets online. Yeah, mine's kind of more of a quick recap, I guess, but I've <laughs> definitely been really interested, uh, particularly this time round, to see um, so many science stories that have been published looking at really the quite exquisite um, uh, feats that are being achieved and how you know physics plays a role, engineering, chemistry, and I've brought a couple of those stories along today. Yeah, well, I had a kind of corny one-liner where I was going to say the Olympics is just kind of like one big physics convention. <laughs> I, well, I, you know, I think you might be right. Um, and okay. if, maybe that will get some scientists, you know, uh, we'll be able to go to to watch the next one. But the the first story I brought is um it's actually an interesting one because it talks about bias. So you might have noticed if you've been watching any of the Winter Olympics that there are some countries that are very much overrepresented and those that are underrepresented. And perhaps it's not surprising that there's there are more people competing and more people winning medals from countries where it gets cold, and um, because it's pretty hard to train to ski to skate to to you know to 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 do anything where it has to be cold if you live in a hotter country um and a sport where um we've seen some representation for the first time from an african team is actually the bobsled and skeleton this year so nigeria uh placed a women's team into both of these competitions and in the bobsleigh team 30 years after the the cool, cool runnings and um, jamaica <laughs> have debuted uh, a female team too oh it's fantastic um and both of these teams it's a great achievement for both sets of of, of women from these countries and um, they didn't get medals at these olympics um, and this story is kind of explaining a little bit how this might change in the future and one way could be perhaps to do some engineering and to develop a way to build uh, a skeleton or a, a bobsled um, course in warmer countries okay. and so to do this you need to have a way to produce fake ice um, and there are already examples of fake ice i remember as a kid using those um, kind of skates um winter skates in the middle of the town which are made out of those big plastic sheets of ice so you kind of bumped across each of those squares I remember it- when I was a kid it was like slippery astroturf it was kind of like a white grass ah. and you could go down fake hills in that yeah there's certainly some of some of these kind of ice have been um, used for ice hockey for skating not great um, for speed though not so great for spa- speed because you know these guys are traveling so quickly down these uh, these sleds, maybe they're getting up to you know over 125 km- kilometers an hour over a two kilometer course. So there's a lot of um, kind of engineering that needs to go into this. So some researchers have proposed a new material that could replace ice on these slopes, and it's called ultra high molecular weight polyethylene. Now polyethylene's just the uh, probably one of the most common plastics and makes carrier bags and all sorts of uh, materials like this. But you can't you can imagine that a carrier bag isn't the right material for a very durable um, kind of slope. But this ultra high molecular weight version has really, really long chains of the plastic. So all plastics are polymers. They're made up of monomers that are joined together into long chains. But these are particularly long chains. And because there are a lot of them that are, are really long, 
there are very weak forces in between these chains, but because they're so long, this the sum of these weak forces add up to a really kind of strong material and they can take very heavy loads. Um, and some of this plastic's already being used in joint replacement, for example, so it's really durable and it can take, you know, the force of, of our body weight and indeed the weight of sleds travelling very quickly yeah, um, down it. So what some researchers really want to do is to develop some prototypes of these uh, slopes and they're hoping, they were hoping to have one in place for the youth games in 2020, although that hasn't been realised. And apart from being able to use these slopes in warmer countries, one of the advantages by people who are you know, supporting this is that they're, they're much cheaper. So there are only actually 16 um, bobsled uh, kind of courses in the world. Um, and for example, the one that was built in Italy in 2006 cost $100 million to build and it costs a million dollars every year to maintain. And I can imagine it doesn't really get used very no, much. No, not very much. Um, I mean definitely by people training but it's not really hugely accessible whereas a plastic one um is predicted to cost about five million dollars and it could be used year round um by many different uh athletes across the world and if they were to make the switch would everybody have to start using the plastics or would the the people that grew up with more uh, colder climates be able to use ice? Well, I think the idea would be to have um, to make them as, as similar as possible so that you could train on either. But there would have to be some Olympic mandate on what the actual track used in in the final would be. So perhaps the, the one used in the final would still be made of ice. Oh. But it would mean that those training on a different material weren't so deeply um, disadvantaged. So we might be able to see some plastic tracks in around 2020, Well, perhaps? I think it'll be a bit after 2020, but I think it's a, an interesting thing to watch out for and to see whether we have this representation of people from, from warmer countries increasing in the, the Olympics to come. Fantastic. Next, we're going to be talking ice skating and the science of the spin, but we thought it'd be a bit cheeky and play this Sufjan Stevens song. It's Tonya Harding. Stick around for Up and Adam. Tonya Harding in D major. Uh, you're in the middle of Up and Adam with Dr. Alice Williamson. We played that song because we're being a bit cheeky and we're talking about the Winter Olympics. Uh, what? Why did we play Tonya Harding? Oh, well, Tonya Harding was the first um, female ice skater to complete a triple axle jump in an international competition. She did that in 1991. And in the Olympics uh, this time, uh, the first American woman to to do this, Mirai Nagasu, um, she just completed the first the first triple axel by an American woman in the Olympics, and only the third ever triple axel by a woman in the Olympics. So people are pretty excited about this. So we should probably explain what the triple axel jump is. Yeah, um, what is it? So it's uh, it's a, it's a really tricky jump. Um, most of the jumps in the Olymp- uh, the in the ice skating, I mean, they're all tricky. I, there's no way I could do any of them. You're essentially skating around. <laughs> with blades on the bottom of your your feet aren't you but um, most jumps you take off backwards and then um, land land um, on one foot in a backwards position but with the triple axle you have to start from a forward position and you land backwards so a triple axle is actually rather than being three spins as you might suggest it's actually three and a half spins so you've got to rotate 
three and a half times in the air and land without disaster. Um, and it's a pretty tricky thing to do because you need to generate enough um, speed in a vertical sense because you're jumping from the ice and also enough um, kind of energy to spin extremely quickly before you fall back down again. And that's a really, really tricky thing to do. Um, and you may um, have seen, you know, if you've watched any of the ice skating, just how some of the ice skaters do it. It's quick. It's hard to, to catch because they do it so quickly. They do it in, you know, less than a second or so in these, these spins. But they start off with their arms in extended positions. And then as they come into their spin or their jump, they pull their arms very tightly into their bodies. And this is because they are conserving their angular momentum. With this, some good physics comes in here, but basically by bringing the mass further to the center of their body, which is where the axis of rotation is because it's the body that's spinning, they um, increase their rotational frequency. It makes them speed up. And you can try this yourself, maybe in the office, if you sit in a spinny chair um, and you kind of spin, you start spinning around with your arms out wide and then you bring them in, you'll find that you're that your speed, uh, the number of rotations per minute increases. I can't do it now. I've got all these power cords attached to me. I was going to give it a try. I was going to say you can also do it in um, uh, playgrounds with, what's that thing called? <laughs> the spinner. Oh, is it gyroscope, is it? Um, oh, I, I, don't, I don't think I called it a gyroscope nope. when I was a kid. It was just a thing that's rotated and um, it has the handles on it. And if you were on the outside, you went slow. And then if you ran into the inside, oh. it would go really fast. And then there would be toddlers just flinging off left and right. Oh, I don't think I had this as a kid, but... <laughs> Traumatic, honestly. I'm thinking about it just going the amount of times I've, like, fallen off. <laughs> off that. No, that, no that, I, I think I've been spared that, that disaster as a child. But, um, but these skaters are really, you know, they're using um, or kind of using the laws of physics to allow them to spin even more quickly. Um, there's also been some really a record-breaking... Uh, spinning achievement or jumping achievement in the figure skating this year from one of the male athletes Nathan Chen who actually completed six quadruple jumps so this is jumps where he spins around four times but this time starting on the back and and landing on the back and in terms of trying to 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 beat this record of doing a quadruple jump um you know the the next what the next one up would be to do a quintuple jump and there yeah. are some kinesiologists and physicists who think that it's actually not possible to spin round um five times in the air and land safely because you simply can't get enough height and uh, kind of speed to into that rotation for that to be possible is there any technology or anything that could help it happen yes there is so there are some suggestions that they could modify their skates which you know any modification of any equipment in the olympics takes a huge amount of uh, procedural change we've seen this with the swimming costumes in the in the summer olympics that, everyone you know, has to then go through the changes and train on it and yeah stuff. exactly so that's a possible to have a pivot in the boots but one of the things that uh researchers have been exploring is the the idea of having weighted gloves so if you start off with some some gloves that have weights in them so your hands are much heavier mm. when you pull that weight into that central axis to, so as you pull your arms in towards you it actually causes your uh the 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 
the number of rotations that you make to increase and it means that you can spin more quickly so it should be possible to perhaps spin more than five times but what they've found in training sessions is that initially that speed of rotation or the the number of rotations per second increases but after a while they go back to their kind of base or their normal uh, rate so it's going to be an interesting thing to try and of course there could be some disadvantages to having weighted gloves in a competition where you have to be so agile and and careful with your Look moves and delicate pretty much <laughs> yeah so uh, but it's an interesting thing to watch but the speeds at which these these athletes are rotating really is extraordinary you know faster at sometimes than kitchen mixers um, and uh, it's really that the fact that they're able to to bring this this mass into their to their center of rotation that enables them to spin so quickly i'm not quite sure how they managed to land safely though that's incredible so you're thinking that there's more likely than not we've pretty much reached the threshold of human performance that's what the that's what the expert scientists and kinesiologists that i've that i've read um i've read their opinions on this say but tim gobel who won bronze in in 1998 and was the first athlete to complete a quad jump um, he actually thinks that um, it's inevitable that at some stage, maybe in a couple of cycles, you know, in a, a few Olympics time, somebody will be brave enough to try the quintuple jump. So we're going to have to watch this space. It sounds scary. I can't wait. Um, thank you so much for coming in, Dr. Alice Williamson. Uh, thanks for having me.